The death of someone we know always reminds us that we are still alive, perhaps for some purpose which we ought to re-examine. American writer Mignon McLaughlin wrote that in her famous work, The Neurotic's Notebook, back in 1960. 48 years later, it still rings true, as the members of Hawthorne Heights discovered themselves upon the passing of their friend and fellow guitarist Casey Calvert of an accidental drug interaction overdose late in 2007. On allpress.com recently, drummer Aaron Bucciarelli summed it up when he said that there's a lot more to life than proving your point. And those points, including a grueling, publicity-attentive lawsuit with the record company, Victory Records, and another with their previous management firm over reported unpaid commissions, drained the band of energy, focus, and more importantly, time, as the suits caused their third record to be delayed almost a year. The details of that Victory Records lawsuit can be found online, where most of it seemed to have been played out on message boards and website blog postings by the band. But it was ultimately the shock and deep sorrow that the death of Calvert brought to the band that shook them to reality, so to speak, and had them reassess where they were, what they were doing, and what they really had to do. To be honest, it's kind of difficult interviewing this band. You can still see the sadness overcome them when Casey's name is brought up. Their shoulders drop, their voices lower, and their faces grow rather sullen, tending to look off in the distance with a sense of reflection. A year later, the love these guys have for Casey Calvert is still very, very apparent. After his death, the cases were quickly settled and the band went back to work, finally being able to release this past August, Fragile Future, a record that languished in pre-production for almost two years. As singer J.T. Woodruff described it recently, it was a work of experiencing the darkness and looking for light. The record features a number of life-reflective songs, including the standout Four Become One, which is their tribute to the relationship with Casey. Hawthorne Heights began in the summer of 2001 as the Dayton, Ohio bass band A Day in the Life. Started by lead singer rhythm guitarist J.D. Woodruff, the band went through numerous lineup changes before locking in lead guitarist Micah Carley, bassist Matt Ridenour, and Aaron Bucciarelli on drums by the end of 2002. Guitarist Casey Calvert joined on later the next year. They released an EP in the full-length Nine Reasons to Say Goodbye in 2001 on the indie label Confined Records before being snatched up by Victory in 2003 and changing their name to Hawthorne Heights. Their trademark song, Ohio is for Lovers, was featured on their debut, The Silence in Black and White, in 2004, breaking the band onto MTV, Warp Tour, and nationwide success at commercial radio, even honoring the band with the distinction at the time as being Victory's highest-selling debut. 2006's If Only You Were Lonely continued their popularity streak, entering the Billboard Top 100 at number 3 with the lead single saying Sorry. Later that year, the band appeared on the Nintendo Fusion Tour, pushing their name brand awareness to grab two AP cover spots since 2005. After the death of Casey in 2007, Woodruff told the press that they wouldn't add another guitar player or quote-unquote add another screamer, as he put it. In our albums, it'll always say Casey Calvert, guitar slash vocals. In 2008, Hawthorne Heights toured on Lincoln Park's Project Revolution tour before releasing Fragile Future in August, a record that is being described by critics as their most melodic and self-assured work yet. Life tends to shoot you around like a marble being shot across a playground, and the direction you're heading in isn't always the direction you ultimately end up going in. Sometimes, life forces you to bounce off some obstacle, or to be thrown off course by some pothole of bad fortune. 
so you end up seeing an entirely different landscape in front of you, with entirely different options ahead of you. And all Hawthorne Heights cares about at this point is that they're going forward. This is Mike Shea. I do know that you guys are, are the masters when I stands of, of Halo <laughs> 3. And, um, and being a little bit older, uh, I've kind of uh, rejected buying a video game system up till now. Um, I just feel like I should be reading. <laughs> and, uh, we should be reading, too. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> trust me, we also, like... Uh, you know, we'll be like, damn, we just played five hours of Halo. What could we have done in five hours? You know, we could probably could have written five pages of a, of a book or, you know, we could have been doing something that are uh, just way better do, than doing that. But we're addicts. I Brushing guess. up on your Shelly and your Keats, you know, exactly. it's, it's all it all comes back to you. So um, so I think for this Christmas, I'm going to break down and buy myself a system. So I want you guys for the next couple of minutes, um, I want you guys to pretend you work at Best Buy. So uh, I walk, I'm walking in. I, I, I've been told that if I want to be hip, i got to buy a video game system. So, guys, give me your best shot. Tell me what i got to buy and why. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very I, good question. Xbox 360, because it's $199. <laughs> it's definitely... <laughs> you didn't upsell me to the warranty, by the way. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, uh, no need to. <laughs> it's definitely the, uh, the, the, bet the better system on the market, especially for video game play, if you just want to plug in a controller in in play and 199 bucks you know that's pretty affordable uh compared to like i don't know i think the ps3 is like 499 or blu-ray though similar. yeah you do get a blu-ray player with it but i mean if you if if you want video games um xbox 360 i think is, is great even though we don't get to do this very much as you can play online with anybody all over the world and you know like even if you know we pretty much just hang out with each other when we're on tour and when we're home, we hang out with our family, so we don't play that many video games. But if you're somebody who, you know, doesn't have a lot of friends that live in your area, you can play online. You know, like we can play online with the guys in Emory when we get home, and they live in, you know, all other parts of the country. And I think that's can't pretty you, amazing. Can't you do that with pretty much all the systems now? Yeah, though? you can do it. You can, but they're not. Wii as well. You can, yeah. but there's not nearly uh, the. Uh, the games that you can do it with, you know, yeah, you they do have the technology, but you can't play specifically. You can't play, you can't Halo, play Halo, but you can't. <laughs> that's that's the game. You can that's, play Haze, but also, cool. uh, you know, Xbox 360. <laughs> they have the Xbox Live thing down. They created it first. You know, yeah. they know what you're doing. It's it's very. It's a, I hear it's a whole lot easier to maneuver around. So so playing dumb. Um, is there a Mac and a PC? One of these, you know what I mean? Like one's the hipper one to get. Uh, I would say the Wii is the Mac. See, now I've had some friends Nintendo tell me Wii. screw the yeah. two other systems and buy the Wii system. And I'm like, but I don't think they have enough stuff for the, it. The yet. Wii's cool. It, you know, I mean, if I want to play, it's cool tennis. for it's, it's cool for ten minutes though. Yeah, you'll I mean, buy a game. You gotta move around. You'll buy lot. you'll buy a game. Is it the ADD game? Is that the ADD Kinda. system? I mean, yeah. you'll you'll buy a video game and you're and you're just kind of like it, like Price is Right. <laughs> And I played. I rented it and played it. And you spin the wheel. You choose the thing. And then by the end of it, you're just kind of like, "All right, yeah. I get it. I'm done." The novelty I don't wears play off. And you made a character. 
Yeah. 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 Like it's the Wii, I think, is definitely the most impressive system out there. You know, like all the games are very interactive. <clears throat> it's very virtual. You know, you're holding these controllers and making the movements with your right. hand and everything. But when I play video games, I guess I just want to sit on my butt and like stare at the screen and <laughs> push the do it buttons old school. and stuff. The old irony school. is when we're playing Halo, we're always moving over, moving <laughs> yeah. the joystick, like, you know. Like the Wii controller, but uh. I'd, I'd be interested to play Halo for Wii, even though you know it's a it's a it's a Microsoft Xbox only game. But it would be pretty awesome if you could like throw the grenades yourself and stuff like that. You know, that they're probably cool, they gotta be working on something like that. You would they, think they just have some to be. sort of shooter game like that. You know, and, and and those and that and when they get to that point, it's gonna it's gonna <clears> hurt <throat> something like Dave and Buster's. You know what I mean? Because yeah, like, yeah. who wants to go to Dave? They and do Buster, Call of you know? Duty on it. It's all right. Really? All right. I think it's one of those games. Might be a Tom Clancy game. See, and that's something. actually the game I want to get because that yeah. actually looks really cool. Yeah, that game is pretty. Cool. Yeah, we hear, we hear a lot of. They have that for Xbox as well, though. So really, yeah, you're covered. Okay, so but the uh, so should I buy a DVD box set while I'm at the at the store too? Is there something I should get? Some new series? DVD box set? Uh, Anything you guys recommend? Come on, you're I, on. A, you're I, on a, I recommend it's always sunny in Philadelphia. You know, everybody's raving about that thing. It's yeah. it's ridiculous. It's really funny. It's totally uh, politically incorrect. But it's you know it's definitely fu- it's very funny. So um, when I was in Warped Tour last year, um, I, I remember walking. It was after the show, and I was where was it? Um, I don't think it was the Gorge. I think it was someplace else. It may have been Idaho. It may have been Boise. Um, were you guys on last year, two thousand seven? Yeah, two thousand. You did oh seven, right? Yeah. And I was walking around with somebody, and uh, and I just I don't know why it was like this, but I just remember seeing a lot of lights flashing out of a tour bus, and I said, "What is going on in there?" I said, "Oh, that's Hawthorne Heights, and they're playing Halo." <laughs> <laughs> they like they never come out; they just stay in their in their bus all the time and play <laughs> video games. We're not big partiers or anything, so like we don't go out and drink and yeah. And so get some wasted, people, so we just hang out on the bus. We'll, we'll invite other bands on our bus to play Halo whenever they want. People know? think we're snobby because we're not like standing in front of the buses at the barbecues and like you know drinking no. and partying, but we're actually inviting other bands onto our bus and beating them at Halo. So, so doing. this is we're your only moment. A, this is your moment to 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 show some shame on a band. Who exactly. Sucks? Who sucks? Who did you guys wipe the floor with? Who, who um, does suck? Uh, Amber Pacific. Yeah. Really? We yeah, cleaned the other AP. Um, okay. Uh, some of the dudes for uh, Glamour Kills were pretty terrible. We 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 beat the crap out of them. Um, and, and the guys from Newfound Glory are really good. Chad, yeah, who uh, beat you guys? That's what I want to know. Uh, no, not Chad. Under Oath. Under Oath. Yeah. yeah. Really. Grant, Grant from Under Oath is a ringer. He's yeah. insanely good. Yeah. Actually, no, it wasn't Chad. It was uh, Steve. Yeah. It was Steve. Steve is really good for uh, Newfound Glory. <laughs> So, like, is this like, a, is this is this like a standard operating procedure for you guys now, where where you guys go on the road? You need to be able to have like this. It's like part of the rider now. Like, you have something in the. You know, I'm being a little sarcastic, but you have something in the dressing room now. It's set up for. No, no, we, we, we just yeah, we, we just stay on the, on the bus. We have a, an Xbox in the front lounge and one in the back lounge, so we can play four and four, uh, and it gets gets pretty heated. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of arguments that that uh, take shape. Over a game of Halo. What was the, what was the longest lasting one? Like for two three days? Was it? Was it? Was it well, uh, the longest lasting game we've played. Uh, you know, the the election just passed, and we're sharing a bus with Emory, and we're all Democrats, pretty much, and they're all Republicans. So we played the two seventy uh, for the electoral uh, <laughs> red versus blue. Yeah. So 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 night. that's actually really interesting. I mean, uh, I said something to another band that was here. I think it was Family Force Five when they were here, and I said, you know, it, a tour bus is a is a is a an apartment complex on wheels. Yeah. And so it's like, how did you guys get along <clears throat> during you know when with debating politics? I mean, that's not like that's like debating religion, man. That's like not a light subject. You know, the Emory guys, um, even though 
they claim they're Republican and we claim we're Democrats. I think they're they're pretty much in the middle of things. Um, they're they're only Republican in name, and and if you talk to them about their their beliefs, you really realize that you guys have a lot in common. Or we have a lot in common with them politically. So it it really wasn't that big of a deal, and and there were you know. There's no hurt feelings over the uh, outcome of the election or anything. Yeah, and and Halo's the great equalizer. You know, we we <laughs> yell at each other like all th- all through the match anyway. So that that stuff rarely, uh, you know, we we don't take it uh, too seriously. We won the real election. They won the uh, Halo election. Uh, it's the first the first game we had to, we had to have a recount. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we beat them on the recount. There, there was, so there was, there was the, a scandal in our nobody was indicted. election. Okay. No, uh, okay. we found out Josh had their keyboard player is not actually a Republican; he's an independent. So uh, Rhino, his Rhino. his votes did not count. So we had you know to redo it, and we won. You know, all you guys are nearly thirty. At this point, is anybody over? Anybody thirty? I'm thirty. 30. You're thirty. All right, so we got yeah. one thirty. Um, and so, do you guys really feel like there's been a just to kind of talk a little bit about um, the uh, what's happened with the election and stuff like that? And there's a lot of pundits and a lot of columnists and so forth. You know, they all kind of looking into the future and stuff like that. But do you guys just? I've had some friends of mine all over the country um, on you know via email and on a phone and stuff like that tell me that they just noticed, and they're like maybe they're just maybe they're hoping that maybe they're maybe they're projecting outwards onto the people around them, but they just kind of feel like something did happen. Yeah, I mean... Like something, like some change, something happened, and I'm not trying to beat on that whole, you know... Yeah, I I think that... Yes, we can think, but... I think that, um, you know, when this is definitely the most important election of of our lifetimes, you know, we're Mm -hmm. late 20s, and I'm 30 years old, you know, I guess you didn't think about it that much then, and, and maybe people didn't put that much of an emphasis on it, but I mean, I think that... I don't know. I think there's a lot of different issues. I think our country is, you know, in bad shape right now. I think that's one of the major issues. But also, think about the amazing progress we made by electing the first black president. I mean, I think that that mm. is a huge step for our country, and I think it's amazing. It's mm. been a while since a candidate's come along and really invigorated a, a wide a swath of this country. I mean, um, it's pretty cool to see that that power and, and see somebody who's really en- energetic and. Um, is bringing a positive message to to this country, especially at a time when everybody's been so down and uh, you know the economy's suffering and, mm-hmm. and uh, everything else around us seems like it's been crumbling over the last eight years. And to finally have this this sort of banner of hope to uh, look forward to in the future is a powerful powerful thing. So do you um do you kind of feel that it's the same way with um, being in a band now? Like, just do you think that there's a whole new generation that is, you know, your guys' age and younger that are coming up the pike that just have a different outlook on the world and and what it takes to be like? It's like it's very, um, what did they say after Katrina? It was the, uh, uh, oh God, I can't remember. There there was, it was like a bring your own beer kind of thing. It was like, it was more or less like, uh, oh, it was a, it was DIYE, do it yourself economy. And it basically, the the point was, is like, you're on your own, bud. You kind of feel more that way, even though you're still with victory and things like that. I think you, yeah, everybody's pretty much out on their own right now. The music industry doesn't know what it's doing at the moment. You know, they can't combat people illegally downloading MP3s or anything. They don't have a business model. They don't know what the hell's going on. So you're pretty much you are on your own out there. You you're left to fend for yourself, to promote yourself, to tour on your own, and that's what we've pretty much done. Even though we're technically on a label, we've always done that for the last you know five years of our career. Hmm. 
Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, in the past, you know, whether it was uh, when people were growing up or first starting bands, I think it was like, man, we got to get on a label. Man, we got to get on a label. That was the most important thing. But now you're seeing like the mega stars, like a band like Nine Inch Nails saying, you know what? We've been on a label. We want to do this by ourselves now. You're hearing these like mega rock stars. And I think that some um, bands starting out are going to be like, well, Nine Inch Nails isn't on a label. They're selling their CD themselves or Radiohead allowed people to download their CD for whatever price they want. You know, maybe we should just give our music away or maybe we should try to, to do something on our own. I don't know if it's the right decision, but I think that it's totally different now. And uh, that was, you know, five years ago for us, that wasn't even a thought. You know, I don't think anybody thought like that whatsoever. You know, to the listeners, you guys are so going to kick my ass. Um, we probably should do um, voice recognition system right now. <laughs> so I need you guys um, left or right. Start, JT, we'll start with you. Just say who you are so people can kind of connect the names of the voices. Cool. Hi, I'm JT. I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. I'm Micah. All right, off that one. Um, so actually, JT, one time you said it was actually in the first cover story for AP that you guys, you guys have been on the cover twice AP, which is actually really good. I mean, there's not a whole lot of bands that have done that, so congratulations. We're looking forward uh, to number three we next keep year. keep working yeah. on it, working on it. Um, but the quote is uh, that you said was, what a lot of people don't realize is when you are trying to start a band or continue a band, you have to work at a gas station or a restaurant or somewhere where you don't get paid at all just so you can drive 10 hours to Philadelphia on a Saturday to play to 15 people. Then you drive back and do it again the next week. So my question is to you guys is because of what's happened and, you know, uh, as you guys saw when Virgin kind of records collapsed and they dropped half their base and they fired three, some 4,000 people and Sony fired, like went through three different shifts of people they fired and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> Warner stock is, you know, declining. Um, the bands more or less are, are more and more on their own, doing it themselves. The money's not there. The advances from the record companies are, de are declining. They're being uh, um, asked um, to do 360 deals, so now they have to start sharing their merch and their live uh, revenue and stuff. Um, so do you think that this whole concept of getting up and driving and being more or less really, in a way, kind of near broke and, and doing it for the love is now been extended, so it's now a permanent situation? Um. Not for all bands, but yeah, for more I bands. I think it kind of works in both ways. I mean, like if you take, for example, what we're doing right now, you know, the economy is really bad and there's a lot of tours going on. So there's not enough fans to go around for 10 different tours. You know, so we're all, all the bands are kind of having to, you know, when you used to draw, <clears throat> let's say, 1,500 people, now there's 10 bands trying to draw those same 1,500 people in the same two months. Now you're each drawing like maybe 400 people, but they're separate 400 people. So, mm. you know, bands right now, are just having to do that to break even, you know, whereas before there was a lot more profit. Um, so I think that we've kind of continued to do that just because mm. of the economy. Mm. But um, also, like, when we were first coming up, um, you know, we, we were willing to do anything, you know, there, MySpace wasn't nearly as big. Now it seems like you hear a band got signed because they were popular on MySpace, you know, so how much hard work did they really have to do? Were they really working a job or did their friends get together in a basement, write a song and then record it and immediately put it on MySpace and a record label was like, man, we've got to have that because they sound like this. You know, like they fit the sound that's currently popular. Put them in a bus. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> so hey, yeah. man, we'll just sign Skip this band. The band part. Just yeah. The bus. We'll sign this band. We'll give them tour support. You know, they've never been, you know, out of their hometown, but let's put them in a bus so they don't have to work or anything. And most of those bands fail. It's unfortunate because they weren't, they didn't really have to realize what they had. 
I think I think you're going to see it's going to revert though again, um, sort of back to the, the way it was maybe ten years ago because there's so many bands out there on MySpace and and, and these labels can't sign everyone. So what they've <clears> done, they try to sometimes. What, what, they've, what they've done over the last few years is rather than give more money and really develop one specific artist, they've spread that money out over ten different artists, and what you get are a bunch of mediocre hits or successes. And uh, then they they drop those bands immediately after. Nothing really impacts at radio or at video. So I think now labels are starting to realize, hey, we don't really have that much money now because of the economy, and people aren't really willing to to, to go out there and buy every single thing we put out. So we're going to have to focus on quality artists and really develop certain artists and say, you know what, these people, they're a good band, but they're not really ready to be on our label just yet. I mean, there, there, there needs to be some kind of... Uh, there just used to filter. be a lot... Yeah, there's no filter anymore. And there used to and be a lot more development. It wasn't like, hey, will we sign this band? Let's go put them in a $500,000 recording studio, put them on tour with a band that's popular, give them a bus, and maybe it'll work out. You know, I mean, like, it, it, it just didn't used to be like that. You had to either something, like, a hit just struck, and it was like, wow... You know, we we pushed this band. They toured in a van for three years, and then now they have a song on the radio. You know, so they can do it without having a song on the radio. I mean, still, it, it, it wasn't until Kiss released their their live album, which was like their third or fourth album, I think, that they actually became a success. And no label would stick with a band for three or four albums these days without dropping them. Um, you know, if you, if you're not a success on your first single, you're gone. Yeah, and, I, I think that and it And that's has, just a waste of money nowadays. Definitely. So I, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that maybe back then it wasn't like, all right, well, we signed this band. We've got to give them a million dollars to record the record with this producer and to, to buy them onto this tour or whatever. It was like, all right, well, we're going to sign this band and we're going to record their record for $25,000 and let's, let's see what happens. And, you know, because good songs are good songs. You don't need $500,000 to show somebody that they're good songs. It's it's interesting how much I hear from bands that come through here, um, uh, especially bands that are kind of um, I don't know how I would say it. They're 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 like a second generation now, which would be like you, the bands that came up with you guys, um, and um, uh, and how it's not a bitterness and it's not a resentment, but you can kind of <clears throat> that same kind of thinking that <clears throat> that it seems to be easier for bands to kind of just blow up. Like just come right out of nowhere and boom, that's it. And I think I think it's easier and harder. It might be easier to blow up, but how do you think harder, harder to have longevity in a scene that has so many bands constantly blowing up? Yeah, yeah. it's like a minefield. I mean, you're not. It's 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 it'd be really hard to have longevity and be one of those bands. I don't know. It's so 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 I'm sorry. Go on. It's sort of the the downside of all this great new technology we have. You know, all of a sudden we have. Everybody has GarageBand on their computer so they can record themselves, and everybody ha has access to MySpace so they can record themselves, and then that night put themselves up on MySpace, and everybody has a band and has a web page and, and music out there, so there's so many more bands out there that it's it's so much more difficult to get somebody's attention and keep it for a long period of time. And also, um, I think that... You know, like if somebody, if I would have had the technology of GarageBand when I was 18 or 19 years old and first started playing music and released that first thing, first of all, it would have been the worst song ever released. But second of all, if uh, for some reason the song was kind of good and people liked it, but then I got some sort of success, how would I have handled that? You know, like at 19 years old, 
So, you know, we've got to sit through a lot of the horrible times touring in a van, like stealing internet outside of Panera Bread while, you know, <laughs> adding our friends on MySpace and stuff like that. You know, we didn't have to sit in our parents' basement and then a major label called us and was like, hey, guys, you know, your we're going we're to make you famous. Is, your first tour is an arena tour. Have yeah, fun. you know, like the, it just it didn't happen. And I think it's kind of sad that it does because... A lot of these bands are like, well, you know, we got signed to a major label. We were just on tour with, I don't know, let's say Nickelback. I mean, we're huge. <laughs> and, like, their attitudes and egos have to deal with that. But what if their record doesn't go anywhere? Right. You know. Right. Um, you know, do you... Um, uh, John Feldman did a podcast here, too, and he said that he is amazed that sometimes he gets bands to come into his studio and, uh, and the guitarist will do just enough and um and expect him to kind of fix it up and patch it yeah and then then the then the guitarist can't play it live they want to you know sometimes you may want to go crazy with it and they can't do it live and and uh and i had another band in here and they were they were saying that um uh oh it was andrew mcmahon and he came in here he said the first time they went on warp tour and they had their sound one of the warp tour crew guys call him over after the gig and and they've he's like you guys are getting you guys are cocky but you don't have a tight show you know, do you kind of see more of that as you, you know, as you guys are playing, you know, is, is, over the past couple of years, especially as more and more and more bands are coming up through the pikes, you kind of just seeing this, like, where the bands aren't, they're not focusing on the show. They're not focusing on their learning how to play the instruments before they all of a sudden get on a stage. I think, I, I think we all definitely see that, but I think it's, you have to blame somebody from getting signed so early and getting thrown into a studio and, like... <clears throat> That filter that we were talking about, it yeah, just like, wasn't there, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and there's nothing wrong with those bands, and maybe two, three years from now, they would be able to pull everything off live and 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 still write good songs. It's just a matter of they need some time to work on it and perfect their art yeah, before they do. go out there. But I, def I definitely think we weren't the tightest band in the no, world we at the I beginning. Totally but playing every day, exactly. Be, if you're right. not tight after playing every day, then you just suck. Like right. pretty much. I mean, it's a, <laughs> if you play every day for years and then you're not good. Do you guys? Yeah, but, some, but some of these bands, they just get to go out there now, out of the blue. You yeah. Know, like, and also and a lot of didn't, it didn't have that road work. A lot of the now. electronic stuff's big now. You yeah. You just really need an iPod. It's tied every night. Right. I mean, you exactly. don't really have as to play you, anything. As long as you can <laughs> semi sing, because they'll they'll you know like if you're big, they're gonna auto tune it for you live. Right. You know, like we've just never been a band to, that's ever been afforded that luxury or anything. So we've really you know. We still practice in Micah's mom's garage, and we really, you know, yeah, still we, in the garage. You know, okay, that's so awesome. that's just what we do. And before tour, we get together. Before we go into the studio, we sit there and write songs and write songs until we can do it. You know, we don't want to get in there and say, "Hey, you know, we can kind of play these mm -hmm. songs, but I know that you can edit them. So why don't you just <laughs> let us kind of play them?" And right. then and maybe the, maybe that maybe the audience will sing the lyrics so loud they won't be able to tell you don't know how to play the song. Right. Yeah. yeah. I also I think it's a whole package too. Like before this tour, we met up at our trailer, and JT's amp was messed up, so he and we were he was his tubes were bad or something like that. So he took all the tubes out. I found tubes in my thing. I think it's a. A lot of bands have the luxury of, well, we'll use tour support to buy these crew guys. They'll fly in, they'll fix all our stuff, we'll and then we'll play. Bed, and, right, yeah. yeah, and then it's just like I think you just have to do that. Yeah, we little did. the little things that like make you understand the whole the whole idea of what you're doing. So, we didn't call our record label. I wasn't like, dude, man, my amp's not working. I'm like, I don't even know how this is going to happen. We fixed it. 
Figured it out. Or more importantly, I guess, I knew my amp wasn't working. You know, somebody, somebody didn't just say... It's part one. So right. My guitar tech or whatever didn't say, hey, dude, we need to get, you know, three grand to get a new amp out here, uh, or JT's not going to be able to play the show tonight. Don't let him know. He doesn't know anything. You know, it's like, right, crap, right. my amp's not working. I got to, you know, so, steal tubes from Matt. So you kind of, you said just a moment ago about, you know, that you guys, you, 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 polished it you find it you you fine-tuned your performance and your and your and mm-hmm. your skills as musicians individually and singers um uh while by playing a lot so do you guys remember from you know whether or not it, it's it's going back um to a day in the life time period or not or the, the the first incarnation of Hawthorne Heights um do you guys remember the first few things did you like oh crap we got it we can't do that anymore I, we gotta throw yeah, that off I remember the day <laughs> the day that we played with Silverstein in Ace's basement. I don't know where that it was is. In North Carolina. I, okay. think, I think it's Greenville. And North they Carolina. was they, this Hawthorne Heights. Yeah, this yeah. Hawthorne Heights. yeah. Okay, okay. it was like our first actual tour, like okay. with a band, with a real band, and like all that. But like, we got a DVD of our show, and we watched it, and we're like, oh my god, we're playing like we were playing like twenty songs in five minutes. Like we were playing so <laughs> fast. Everything was like twenty thirty BPM. And we were like, too we fast. need we like, to wow. slow everything down. And so we did, we kind of figured that out, got kind of close to the record, and then we recorded our second record and finally figured out that we probably needed to play to a click, <laughs> make it a little, little... I hear that a lot. A lot of yeah. bands have that problem initially is the timing situation. Is it, yeah. Yeah, no, nobody you're just knows. really stoked. Pace, you get on stage yeah. and you're really psyched and everything is just... Too many Red Bulls. Nobody knows. Nobody said, like, it's not like anybody was like, hey... You guys should play to a click live. It'll make you a lot tighter. You'll be able to sing better because you can hear the beat clicking constantly. No one ever said that. So it was like, well, we got in the studio for the second time. And they're like, you guys don't play to a click. You're actually pretty good for not playing to a click, but you should do this for the rest of your lives now. You should just play constantly. And then when you do it, you listen to what you sounded like and you actually sounded ridiculous. Like it's laughable. (laughs) Like you listen to it and you're like, how in the hell did this just get past all of us that we were playing like this? You know, just thought, of, just thought, Aaron, you, 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 you grew up doing jazz drumming yeah. and learning all that, and and you know the old school jazz drummer guys would be sitting there saying, "Why do you need a click?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like shows you how things have kind of like yeah, now definitely. it's okay. It's well, okay. It, because it's like you see the calculator com- and the math test now because you know? of computers and everything and, and 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 pop music being like super dead on now. You're, you're sort of required to play to a click, otherwise people can tell. I also think it's a comfort thing. Like, yeah. I know for a fact, tonight when we go on stage, Aaron's the only one that has a click, none of us have it, but I guarantee it will be the exact same tempo as last night. And I guarantee my hands will have to do the exact same thing, and... So if, so if his click is, is off, uh, are you guys cr- fucked uh, for the night? We just follow him. <laughs> yeah. So if he messes up, so if he messes up, up we mess up. The ship sinks, and it sinks immediately, too. But when he gets back on, we just follow him, because nobody's fighting over the click. So I, I do yeah. have to ask, just as a personal thing, Krupa or Rich? Um, I, I or Max Rich. Roach? I'd say Rich. Rich? Like Rich yeah. All right, so you're more yeah. technical. Well, no, I'm, I'm personally not, but I, I do... I, I've you know watched all the like videos of, of both of them on YouTube and stuff and I, I just I don't know there was some class about Buddy Rich that I really liked. Do you scream at the other guys too and you know fire them all the time and stuff? Uh, like that? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, it's it's interesting. You were saying before about that all these bands are coming up the pike and that um, you know this seems like this new flavor of the month. So as you guys have been doing this, you've got geez, your platinum record, you had a gold record. Um, this one's doing well. Um, you guys are, are are names. Your names. You say that name, Hawthorne Heights, and 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 people know it. 
you know, and kids respect it and other bands are familiar with you. Um, and, uh, you guys are not one of those bands where it's like, where are they now? You're not at that, you know? So, um, so how do you guys deal with that? There has to be that pressure of one, we have to stay contemporary. Um, <clears throat> two, um, as, as you guys have kind of said after, um, everything that's happened to you over the past year, um, year, year and a half, uh, that we, you, you're looking forward to the future. You've, you've kind of like moved on now and you're, and you're moving forward. So how do you like deal with that pressure to kind of like, I don't know. Stay relevant? Yeah. I don't know. It's tough. I think, I think you have to find a balance. I think we're, we, we want to stay relevant, but we want to stay true to what we like to do. I don't think we're going to be making a dance, a T-Pain song <laughs> with all dancey and crazy and we're in neon stuff. I don't think we're going to do that. I think we might, I don't know. There's a way to stay current without going for flavor of the week. I'd, you know? I'd rather us be trendsetters than followers, if that's even possible. I mean, I don't know how we, we'll do that with our next material, but hopefully, um, you know, we're not listening to anything that's contemporary right now. So hopefully by us doing that, we'll sort of forge our own path. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it kind of boils down to the fact that um, it's weird to say this, but we will be working on our fourth record. So, you know, and, you know, we're all in our late 20s or 30, like I am, you know, like, I guess how much in common... Still in my mid, <laughs> by the way. You know, hey, look, Pete Wentz turns 30 next June, so the, 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 everything's over at that point for every, all of us, so... But how much do we have in common with, like, a 15-year-old? You know what I mean? Like, so I think that... We would like everybody to like our music, obviously, but you know, as we get older, you know, our tastes change. But I think that everything we always do is still going to be like a rock and roll record, so it's still going to be Hawthorne Heights. Sounds you know? really dumb to say rock and roll will never die, but it. I think it kind. If you play rock music, it'll kind of, however you play it, it will kind of stand the test of time. As long Just as you it's have, probably. You know, like, the the lute and the harpsichord are probably not coming back in mainstream music. <laughs> yeah. Odds are, and we have you know. You'll, but you'll, when it does, you guys will it's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah. You'll notice that um, you know when you first met us, you, you know four years ago, you still see you know the same four dudes here minus, minus Casey. You know, obviously right. we are the same guys, so we know what we do, we know what we like, we know what we're good at. You know, we're not going to say Aaron. You know, sorry, dude, but man, we're gonna. We're gonna try that drum thing, drum machine thing out on this CD. You know, just go ahead and take the take the two months off or whatever. You know, we are a rock band. We like heavy, loud songs. You know, and my voice sounds how it sounds. You know, it. I just kind of sing melodically. I don't have a lot of. Uh, I don't know. My voice isn't real gruff. I can't scream very well or anything. So I think that we just we sound how we sound. You know, and as long as we're happy playing what we're playing. Or, you know, like our CDs are always going to be good for us anyway. Okay. We, can, we can't, you know, the market is what it is. You know what I mean? If everybody decides that, uh, I don't know, swing comes back, big bag voodoo daddy and stuff like that you comes back. You guys are back. set. You're set. You got a drummer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess people just aren't going to like us. As he just rolled his eyes. I, have, hey, I've got a, I have a trumpet at home. <laughs> I haven't played this in high school, but I got it. We're ready. I, I think, you, you know, there's, there's bands like Green Day who have, uh, you know, they had, they came out right out of the box and they were huge and then they sort of went down a little bit Not but really. then they came back with American Idiot which was way bigger than any you know their middle records careers are in cycles yeah, yeah. they always are but Clunk. I also I think that I think that they're a band they come out of the box I think Green Day is a is a great example because they sound like Green Day through every record 
you know, whether it's a good recording or a bad recording, you know, Billy Joe is singing, it sounds like Green Day every time. and They've evolved know, a little bit, but it's they're still... You, yeah, you, you are always going to evolve, whether okay. it's picking up different influences or reverting to past influences. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Green Day is Green Day, and I think that they're a band, you know, I think Foo it's Fighters, like that. I think they just get better, and I think that's what you want to do. It's, I think it's like that with any big band. We were talking about it last night. Like, if you listen to any... Really big band, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Right, nobody sounds like them, whether right. you like them or not. Yeah, love I mean, them or hate any, them. The Red right. Hot Chili Peppers put y- out two. awesome Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like you songs. two, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, any any band like that has their own. So like nobody is going to sound like Radiohead, and if they do, Palo Alto, you just sound like a kind of all right Radiohead. So I'll listen to that. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because the, the guys in MXPX, uh, uh, one of the last record they did um, was Let's Rock or Panic. One or the other, um, and they and and uh, it was before Mike started Tumble Down, which is like his his country kind of thing. And you could tell that he was struggling because the country side of him that was wanting to come out started coming into the MXPX songs. So the record wasn't that strong, and it didn't sound completely like a traditional MXPX record that we all grew up listening to. Yeah. And so they found that when they went back for Secret Weapon, and Mike had already started Tumble Down, so now he had that outlet. That all of a sudden they went back to sounding like traditional. To, and their fan base is like, thank you, you, wow, you guys are back. Like they, some fans saw it as a comeback record. Yeah. Um, so have you guys kind of, and especially, um, and you guys have brought this up in the, in the, in the AP story and, and as well as some other articles I read, um, where with, with Casey's absence, um, that you guys had to reconfigure how the songs were structured by adding in things, extra in- instrumentation, putting in some more vocals and things like that where he would have been. Um, but are there still those things that you guys kind of feel you have to deliver for your fan base that is our signature Hawthorne Heights, I guess, items? I mean, I, I, think, really. I think that there are some, but we just cannot deliver them. I think that people like hear our first and second record with Casey on them, mm-hmm. and there's obviously screaming, right. and that's some things that people relate with our band, and we just cannot do it anymore. It's not right. like... Right. Hawthorne Heights became wussies, you know what I mean? Like, we lost a very dear friend of ours. Yeah. None of us can scream. None, you know, we are doing what we do, and uh, that's it, you know? So we are going to, you know, we've been wanting to add different instrumentation for a long time, and on this last record, we actually were prepared and had the time to do it and yeah. everything, and I think that it It was did, like two, two years you worked on this one, was, overall. Some, yeah, it was something that we were planning on doing regardless. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, we had wanted to do on the past records, but we ran out of time or money, and, and, and so the, those elements didn't get added in. The we art, were just more confident. We knew what we wanted to do, and... Um, you know, we just had to rely on different things to uh, to make Casey there with us. You right, know, and we right. just we don't have the screaming anymore, and that's not coming back because we're right. not going to add somebody who screams or anything. Mm-hmm. But you know, we're going to continue to to be Hawthorne Heights and do what we do in in different ways. Have you noticed? Um, have, have you kind of noticed a difference in the way that the audience, uh, the, the fans, are re- reacting to the new material yet? Are they kind of reacting the same? Are they because it, because of the fact that the songs are structured differently and and, the, and it's a new phase for you guys? Are you kind of noticing the kids? You know, are they singing differently? Are they are responding? Are they dancing more? Are they? I mean, anything like that? I think I think it's definitely a different response. I don't. It might just be me, but like everybody is when our records would come out, I'd be like, "Oh, your new album's awesome, cool." And then like people like at meet and greets and stuff, they're right. like, "Your new record's really good." And really? I'd rather wait. I'd re- it sounds way more sincere and like you're cool, right? You know, like standard. It's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sign I my mean, thing. I think yeah. people, 
I don't know. I think people understand what we were going, like what all the crap yeah. we went through. And then we got to release an album that we wanted to record. We recorded it with a buddy of ours mm-hmm. in a dance studio. Like it was just like the I, whole I give process you guys a lot of credit really for that. Cool. You didn't go for the high end, you know, no get point. the top, get Casey Bates and all that. I mean, yeah. you guys really. We wanted you know, somebody that we were comfortable with and yeah. that we could sit around and be friends and not argue with anybody. We we knew what we wanted with the songs. We had them ready. We just wanted to add to them and make them better. And uh you know one of the cool things about when we when we do a meet and greet or somebody comes up to us somewhere, you know, like it's awesome to hear, I cannot believe that you guys actually sang about that stuff. You know what I mean? Like it really like I know I can for the first time I can tell exactly what you're talking about. And it's, you know, it's very sad and I appreciate that you guys are still together and everything because, you know, you went through more than any band has gone through in the past, you know, few years. And that's really amazing to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, it's awesome to hear somebody say, you know, this song got me through this, but it's so much more rewarding to to hear them go, I can tell that your song got you through that. You know, it's just, it's a totally different experience and it's really cool to hear people say that. We do take two song breaks um, during this, and uh, but I want to finish one thought that you were just bringing up, and uh, which is, you've talked about how uh, lyrically, because everything's going on as well, you're not so metaphoric, and now you're more direct and just kind of laying it out there. Yeah. And um, does that just, just when you sing on stage, instead of telling a story and in third person and whatever you know about a f- fictional character that you've not had to make up to kind of wrap something else that happened in your life around it and mask it, um, d- does it does it change the way that you? I guess the new stuff is it change? Is, is it are you singing it differently? Singing it more passionately? Or are you singing it? Uh, do you feel a little insecure singing, like you're exposing yourself a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I, th- I think the new stuff, especially some of the lyrics that I wrote for this record, I think that it really lays it out on the table. Mm-hmm. And like rock bands, I, I don't think they're really supposed to be vulnerable, but I think that's when rock bands are at their best. You know, I think that, you know, some, like every night we do Four Becomes One and we play it acoustic for Casey and it's like, that song is still hard for us to perform and sing and play. And every night I tell a story about it and talk about Casey, and it's still mm. hard. But I mm. think that it's awesome that we can get up there and see people who might kind of feel like we feel, like they lost Casey just as much as we lost right. Casey. And I think that that's, that's what music's all about. That is the outlet that we need. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's going to be, you know, with, with these sorts of situations, anytime a band uh, loses a, a, a member... Um, unfortunately, like this, um, that that there's a, there's there's a there is that tour that kind of happens afterwards, like the grieving tour, and it, it, because it is a fan thing, it's a it's a shared experience, and so do you guys kind of feel that, you know, even though that was last November, so it's a year ago now, um, do you kind of feel like you're still on that process, or do you think you guys are starting to get to that point now where people are starting to be at peace with it, and you guys <clears throat> are being at peace, and now you can like start, as you've said, want to move forward, and you want to start kind of take it this th- next phase. I think our first our first real tour we did after that was Project Revolution this right, summer. Right, Park, yeah. And honestly, I think it was really good for us to, I don't know, this is me personally. Yeah. I didn't want to, when I got up there to try to become a band again, try to figure out how this is going to be with four people, I'm kind of glad there wasn't that like, those people in the crowd wearing the shirt, just reminding me of who used to be on my left. Right. It was kind of nice to be on a tour, figuring everything out when probably not many people even knew a, who we are, B, what happened, and then now we actually get to play to our fans. We're comfortable playing, and I, I, I felt really comfortable about so that. So that anonymous bot helped in a way. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, I, I think that it's awesome to, you know, 
it's it's been almost a year now, and it was in the fall last uh, last year. And this is a great time to be out. And um, you know, even with the economy as bad as it is, our true fans, our core fans, are coming out because they do want to see us again and want to talk to us. And and you know, explained, hey, you know, I was actually going to go to your show last year. Uh, and then Casey passed away, and you know the the tour was canceled. So I had to come back this year and see you guys, and you know, and uh, I really, you know, I really miss Casey being up there. And it's awesome that you guys are out here still doing it even one year later. And that's really cool. That's a great therapy for us to to hear people say that, and it makes us feel like we're doing the right thing. And despite music being throwaway and pop songs, you know, people hear one song and then the next week they hear a better song to them or whatever. Right. It's awesome that people, you know, are coming and genuinely care. Yeah. Right. It's, it's cool. Do you, uh, so that's the two songs. Um, let's pick two songs off the new record. Um, okay. and, but I want to kind of give me, I'm going to give you a scenario for the two songs and you, you then tell me which one you want up that you, you would like us to play. Um, why don't you play, tell me the song that changed the most from its inception to how it ended up on the record. Um, I would say, let me think, I would say Four Becomes One, like, when I first had that idea, it was me playing acoustic guitar and just singing, and it wasn't real powerful, I guess it was more soft and kind of fragile sounding, I guess, and then when we all got together and, like, wrote the, this actual main song and everything... It just came off as so much more like... It's a power it, ballad now. Yeah, it was kind of more like a downer, like me just playing the guitar. There was like an underlying hope in it. I because mean, the original title was Five Become Four, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so then it changed. Okay. Yeah, we saw like the... It sound, It kind of sounded hopeful. So Five Becomes Four is more of a downer. Four right. Become One is more of a... It's, it's uplifting. It's how yeah. we yeah. come yeah. together as a band through... Mm-hmm. This tragedy, and, and we and played stronger. We played the song at Bamboozle Left before, probably way before we should have played it. It didn't have a bridge, <laughs> yeah. definitely. It didn't. The structure made zero sense, probably. But we just wanted to do it. Like, yeah, we. That just was our first like, show back. We just wanted to do it. Yeah, we felt like we just needed to play it, and I, I love the version that's on the record. You know, we play the acoustic kind of a, an acoustic version live on this tour, just because we wanted to do something a little bit more intimate. But I mean, the version on the record is totally different, and couldn't be more opposite of what I thought that song was going to sound like, and that's in the best way possible. I think mm. that everybody got together and we all did our parts, and I think that that song just turned out a lot more beautiful and hopeful and powerful, mm. whereas before it was just, it was a downer, and it was, you know, more, uh, I guess, soft-spoken. Now it's like, you know, it's really really hits hard okay and then the second song what's the song off this new record that you guys on live on stage or are feeling the most in the groove together as a band like is that one song that's just like the one you look forward to i like somewhere in between yeah that. i mean that's groovy that one definitely has a groove and it that, definitely um <clears throat> like lyrically there was a lot of stuff that was really a downer on this record because that's what we were going right, through right so you know, somewhere in between is the song on the record that's like, this is a fun song, no matter what. You know, like, the music is fun, the lyrics are fun, and, and like, just kind of, I don't know, they're, it's just supposed to meant 
to be uh, more happy, you know, just kind of bob your head along. Yeah, it's also the first song we we've ever played live where I think people people think that during softer songs they stand there and watch us like we're animals in the zoo, <laughs> and during heavy songs they feel the need to mosh. This song just makes people bob their head, and that's yeah, and it's awesome. It's just people are just. Hanging out. That's a good way to put it. Also, another thing that I would like to add about that is live. You know, like, a lot of people, first of all, just the way the industry is, a lot of people don't know we have a new record, so a lot of people don't have our new record. And when we're like, all right, we're pushing our new record and we're going to play this song, that is one of the songs that you can immediately tell people, like, man, I think I might want to check out this record. You You know, like, I can hear that, I can feel the the beat and everything and you know you'll see him go over to the merch table and be like is that the record that that song was on and you know it's really cool i I like that song for for that fact Slave. 
JT, uh, I did not. I, I forgot about this actually, and when I went back and did uh, redid some research about you guys, um, I guess back in the day, um, there was a time period uh, where you worked at the United Dairy Dairy Farmers. Oh yeah. You got a few of those in Cleveland, don't you? Oh, Micah, yeah. too. Yeah. Don't leave Micah out. Oh, you did, too. Oh, yeah. Micah wasn't in really? it for the long haul, though. He was just I a stopgap. I worked there guest. for a year. <laughs> was it a year? Yeah. Man. All right, so what? So so uh, and I did this with Anthony Green, too. So we, we made a particular Starbucks that he worked at. Uh, you know, we put it at notes because he told me where it was in the street. So that's so, so much cooler than a UDF, by the way, and so much more or less white trash. <laughs> I know, but UDF is you know it's so much more Kevin Smith. What if you it's, want a corn dog? You're, you're right on that. So you're there is, right I think, a little bit more credibility there. Yeah. You know, if you Plus, want corn dogs and eggnog, that's the spot. It's not corporate America, but the people who uh, own the Reds do own. Uh, oh, this, okay, they, they own UDF. So where were these? Where were these two UDFs that you guys worked? We at? worked at the same one. Oh, really? It was the same one. Yeah. Okay, in Troy, Ohio. In yep. Troy, Ohio. What streets are on? South Market and uh, what the hell? Well, not Plum. Is uh, a crossroad there? I don't remember. It's definitely it's on. Uh, it's cross the only, street from the post office. Yeah, it's the only one on South Market. So in, in Troy, in, in Troy, Ohio. In Troy, Ohio. But yeah. I was Micah's boss then, but he's kind of my boss now. So, <laughs> you know, if, we had a role reversal. By far the worst job of all the shit jobs I ever had. And there were yeah. and there were definitely times when uh, we, I think after we got signed, I'm not really sure. It might be right before, but I worked there we, for, for probably two months. After JT would be not being able to get off work, and he'd be managing a UDF selling milkshakes. We would get together, work on a song, and actually burn it onto demo. a CD. I remember recording transition in my mom's basement on Cool Edit Pro, and then bringing it over to you, and we were listening to it in the back office of UDF. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, man, we're actually getting, you know, pretty good. This is, this is pretty awesome. Maybe I will not have to do this for another three years. Glad I have this maroon apron on. And then you, yeah. had, then you heard the bell when the door opened and somebody wanted an ice cream sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Got Every it. Extra, oh, extra malt. And it, it, was, it was terrible. Uh, Micah didn't have it as bad as me because I had to open the store at 4.30 a.m. Yeah. And I didn't get off till 3 p.m. And, the, and we didn't get a lunch break or anything. And for it was all there. You didn't need a lunch break. But for you got everything the morning your shift. I was yeah. going to ask you what shift did you work for? Seven hours. Oh. I had to be by myself, so I couldn't go to the bathroom. I just had to stand there and hope that that bell wouldn't go off. <laughs> I had to do the accounting and everything. It's it's an overall bad operation. So you said it was actually the second cover story. You were talking a little bit about working there, and you talked about a, a, a regular that came in like five, six times a day or something like that by the name of Walter, and. Uh, um, you guys are smirking. You remember this guy? Is this uh, guy? That, I've yeah, heard. I, I, maybe yeah. that guy will never leave my mind. He came in <laughs> six, seven times a day, always for a sixty-nine cent coffee refill. Would not say a word. Walked directly over to the coffee unless the coffee wasn't fresh, and he could tell. So he kept me on my game the whole day, and he would just drop sixty-nine cents and walk out. Not a word was said six times a day. <laughs> not a word. I probably worked there for three and a half years. The only time I said anything was is if he said, "You need to make more coffee." Okay, I'd walk over there. <laughs> yeah, and there's make there's more a coffee. Coen That's Brothers it. character right there. I think. I, I, yeah. I think that you're. I think the Coen Brothers need to come down and just sit in there for two weeks, and they'd probably have five movies. Those people. Are Can the I just lowest. get a cup of malt? 
Yeah. What? So, so I mean, I don't want to digress too far off the band thing, but you were you you, you so you got when you guys got signed to Victory, is you were still working there? Yeah. Were both I, the guys were both you working there at the time? I, I think we all no, can. I, I would switch over. I was yeah. delivering pizzas by that time. Oh, you were delivering pizzas. I okay. was doing both. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, because you were delivering pizzas too. So, I guess my question to both of you guys, because pizza delivering is kind of like, um, it's kind of like. Uh, I was thinking about it. I had the direct TV guy show up at my house a couple months ago, and uh, I asked him. I said, "You know, you have to see. You walk into people's homes, man. You have to see everything, yeah. and you must have some conversations with your wife when you go home at night. Going, you wouldn't believe what I just walked into. You're tonight. right. There's some crazies in there, but hands down, UDF clientele beats it. <laughs> oh, definitely. It, really, it's just every once in a while, though, the two would merge and you'd <laughs> deliver to somebody that was always coming hey, to UDF. Hey, I saw you earlier. How was that, corn yeah. dog? So, some both you guys, and then we'll move on from this. What was the strangest thing, the oddest thing, the scariest thing the from delivering pizzas? Uh, actually, the run-ins with the dogs were always the scariest. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, don't worry, he doesn't bite. And yes, he does bite. He's biting <laughs> he me, right? He bites me. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's... Uh... I think it'd be weird. Like every once in a while, you'd literally have somebody answer the door in their bra and underwear, and you could hear their husband or their boyfriend <laughs> laughing in the background. They're trying to like play a joke on you, you know? Like it's like, man, the joke's on you. I'm just dropping your pizza off, and you're, you know, showing me the goods. But it, you know, that stuff would happen, you know, probably once a week or something like that. And it's like, man, you are much crazier than I am. I'm just dropping your food off. <laughs> I remember for some reason, every time during trick or treat, my heart would like kind of race when you go up to a door. I have no reason. I, no idea why you just don't know what's behind the door <laughs> but i feel like I, that would be my job and that would it would happen every day and kind of freak me out i think was, i don't i think could not be a pizza guy i, I don't think it's safe i mean <laughs> imagine not. i'm just going there to drop off a pizza what if i'm oh, dropping a pizza a, off to ted bundy i got a pocket full of cash and a pizza <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah luckily troy is you know a pretty crime-free city i would say you know it's a small city they have a strawberry Ohio. festival yeah <laughs> Did you? What, so you guys kind of alluded to it, I, and I'm curious. So you guys got me on a roll now. You, you guys said that the, the, you said that the uh, the customers at UDF are the strangest and worst. So give me the give me besides Walter, give me the the strangest. Just addicts, as far as the eye could see. You know, people coming in buying two tall boys a beer, starting at six a.m. in the morning and coming in every two hours. Yeah, there's that guy too. There's always you know yeah. the coffee addicts and then the alcoholics. The, uh, both the, the, the opposite, the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, what a dumb I, people. I guess <laughs> a lot of peanut butter shakes. You guys always talk. Yeah, about. it was the worst, man. Sounds you know, like I said, I had to open the freaking store. I had to be in there at four thirty to get everything ready, make the first cups of coffee and everything, and the store opened at five a.m. And there are people waiting at five a.m. <laughs> and you know, like. Sure enough, as soon as you peek your head out the door, they're like knocking on. It's five o'clock, and you go over, flip it, and they run to get their coffee. And you can't sell beer. I think it was till five thirty or six. <laughs> it was either a half hour or an hour after the store opened. They, every morning, come on, man, can't you just sell it to me? No, my register will not physically ring it up. There's nothing I can do. What if I leave you the money, and you <laughs> ring it up later? You know, it's like, come on, dude. You can wait an hour, and if wait, you can't wait an hour... Wait till 5.30 you are, for your beer. Yes, you are the person who does not need to be drinking if you cannot wait that long. So let's, so let's talk about road stories, but we're going to continue the story a little bit about places, you've, you, you, people you've met. Um, when, uh, I, think, I think it was Family Force 5, when they were, they were talking about this band called The Wedding, which I think were out of Missouri or something like that, um, and they stayed, at, uh, they stayed at, a, at this kid's house, this apartment, and uh, 
they stayed there and they, you know, it was, it was fine, no problem. And they left. And then the next day, they saw on the news that they, that this kid's apartment had been raided by the cops, and the kid had killed his parents Jeez. and cut them up, and they were they were in the refrigerator Holy of the place shit. they stayed wow. at. Oh so, man, <laughs> we don't have that. That beats our yeah. stories. Yeah. <laughs> So, so it's, you know, it's, especially in the early days, you guys weren't staying in hotels and stuff like that. You were just staying at people's houses. That so, like, what, give me a house story, like the, the story that you guys kind of sit there. there, was, there we, we, we got the, the, we got the, the one. Yeah, we got the one. There was one in Virginia. I, th- I think it was in Virginia. I don't, when was this? I, I Carolina. It was. It was. It was Virginia. Probably like Virginia. And we we this kid Charlotte. was like. When, we, what, we, no, but what tour was this? Oh. This was oh. We were on the tour. program. Yeah, we yeah. were on oh, tour with a band called The Program. And arms been back. Okay. And uh, <laughs> this so kid, it's been a while. This kid offers us a place to stay, and he said, "Oh yeah, come on, it's not that far." And we end up driving, following him for what it's seemed, about forty-five minutes. Seemed like forty-five minutes <laughs> out, but we left paved road. We left yeah. gravel road. We were driving, we, driving like, on a grass field, out to a camper, to like a fifth wheel kind of thing, parked. In the middle of nowhere, (laughs) and there were lots of animals too, like goats and things walking around. And I, I, yeah, all I remember is it's, 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 I remember a vivid image of him going, "Oh yeah, just come on up," and seeing his mom walk out in like her nighty (laughs) nightgown, not a nighty nightgown, with like a lantern, and I'm like, this. This is every horror movie I've ever watched. Yeah. This is the beginning of it. And we slept yeah, on you're definitely right. Like, would you guys drive to sleepaway camp? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That, like if you, this there's was, like goats and I is this was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> yeah, but you know it yeah. turns and like I got probably the worst sleep I've ever had in my life. For no reason, because we than were my, sleeping on trash. Yeah, other than my <laughs> mind racing, but you know we wake the up. The kid was really nice, totally really nice. Uh, we wake yeah, up. The where mom was the makes mom? The where mom. was the mom? That's what I, I want to know. I don't remember seeing her other than with the lantern. I think she went. I thought to I remember work. seeing her in the morning. Like people that she made people that carry lanterns yeah. kill people. Yeah. That's what all. That's all the TV's ever told me. I remember Casey, nobody has a lantern. Casey was outside chasing around the chickens in the yard. Once we woke up and we were like, "Oh, this is cool." I just remember waking up and. At like nine in the morning in the program, when somebody was in a tree smoking weed, <laughs> and I was just like, "What is happening? We got to get out of here." That, just, you're, yeah, all you're, I, they're, you're, you're that far out. Yeah, the, we've got to get matter. out. Yeah, they wake up, they're smoking weed in the tree. I wake up and I'm like, "Holy shit, we're alive! <laughs> Thank God, let's get out. I don't care where we have to go. If we have to go, you know, to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre." But to the play thing, a show, let's the go thing there. Is, let's get out of it's where It's only we are. horror movies scaring us. This yeah, kid was yeah, totally nice. Yeah. He gave us a free place to stay. Everything was Food, great. But it's shower. only everything around that made you go, we're <laughs> probably going to die. And there was it's nothing weird. weird about it other than it was different than the way we live and out of our comfort zone. And this guy... It's weird that he called me for about two years after that. Though. That's, that's weird. true. I didn't that's know about true. that. That's weird. That's, that's a, true. That's a red did flag. Mom, he, but did his he mom was, friend you on MySpace? <laughs> but he was a pretty pretty normal guy, and you know he was one of the nine people at that show, you know, and that tour. Jeez, you know, and there, there's a horror movie plot: a kid that goes to shows and baits bands to come back to his place, and then they oh, kill the go. bands. That's perfect. Yeah. You know, I'm telling you, that's good. You guys are AP, HBO series right here. Call Rob yeah. Zombie. Start getting AP television <laughs> He'll make production. It good. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think production. Halloween did that. John, John, you're a huge horror fan. I don't think Halloween is it did that well. Did it? 
I don't think it was I a Rob it. Zombie's thing. I liked it. I liked it. It got kind well, of monotonous. Was, I mean, it's a cult thing. You you either like that kind of stuff or you don't. And if you do, then it went over big. Well, aren't they redoing Friday the 13th? It's supposed to be out in the spring, yeah, right? It comes out in yeah. February. Yeah, yeah, I'm real excited about that. I'm like a huge horror movie fan, and I don't care if it's not as good as the original as long as I get more of them. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care. It does not matter to me. As long as I don't get more of High School Musical 3, I get Friday the 13th remade. Does not matter if it's not as good as the first one. It's better than High School Musical three, and that's all that matters. To I was just thinking about seven. like a Saw seven. <laughs> yeah, there you go. What, right. what about like a Police Academy nine or something? I'll oh, take yeah. it. I'll yes. take it any day. So, I will... so, so usually horror fans will fight over whether or not they were happy that Jamie Lee Curtis died in in, uh, in the, the last one. Uh, I think that it's all right that she died, but she kind of punked out. Like, she didn't die in a cool way. She was, like, in a mental institution, you know what I mean? Like, so that's kind of a bummer, and, you know, why even bring her back for that little tiny role? You know, it doesn't matter. So it's not that big of a deal, but whatever. I'm going to change the subject back to that <laughs> tour we did. Oh, yeah, please, yeah. Uh, we pop, we here, This has to go with the music industry, and this is probably Perfect. a total change of subject. Perfect for this. Um I think on that tour, it was about three and a half weeks long. We each made about $60 to pay our rent. <laughs> yeah. And we probably played to about 70 people in the three and a half weeks total. I think bands now, a lot of them, when they make that song and get massive instantly, don't have to do that. So when we do what we do, and there's only 300 people at a show, we think of that, and that makes this great. Like it's, yeah. I think it's an appreciation thing. Back Definitely. to back to that crazy tour, but it was like I think when you get home from a tour and you go, "Hey, honey, made sixty bucks." That, that <laughs> hey, was our, what's going on? That was the first tour we ever did that was actually booked by a booking agent. And yeah. Yeah. before yeah. that, we had done all self-booked tours. And a good one at that too. And they were always, you know, like a couple hundred kids at every one of these shows we would do on our own. But then, all right, we figured, oh, this is the big time. Uh, booking agents actually booking this tour for one of the the bands we were supporting. So this is going to be awesome. And Way worse than all of our like five kids. Shows. But we yeah. still had fun. It was still fun. It was a fun tour. Absolutely. Because this was our job now. That's, <laughs> yeah. all, that's it, all that matters. It, we weren't driving to Philadelphia 12 hours and then driving back to work at UDF. We were doing this for three and a half weeks. But so I, we think, were I think there was... We were driving from uh, like West Virginia to Boston in a snow blizzard and got there and there was five people there. Yeah, the, yeah. we walked in and we're like, we're here. And the guy goes, you might not want to go down there. Yeah. We go, yeah. we're, going, we're going down there. If there's not anybody, we're playing. We just drove 12 hours. We automatic band practice. Yep. So, yeah. We will play so, for you. I think, I, think, I think when your band, if your band happens to get big, which is great, before you have to do stuff like that, the second darker days come, which darker could mean 300 people, not 1,500. I mean, mm -hmm. the second that comes, I, what do you do? I mean, if you've never seen that, we've seen the worst. <laughs> like, pr not probably, I guarantee there are bands have seen worse than us, but we've seen pretty bad. How yeah, do we, you play to five people? You just, you just, you do just it. I mean, you, you're, you just it's, do it. It's better than, you know. What do you do? Dedicate every song? Like, <laughs> <laughs> this one goes out to you. <laughs> and the yellow shirt. What's your name? <laughs> yeah. Right. Pretty much. But, uh, you know, you just suck it up had, and do it. It's what we wanted to do. And it, it, well. Beat working at UDF and uh, yeah, and I guess the perspective of it, the perspective of it is, um, even if let's say like you know in the past we've drawn 1,500 kids a night, you know, say that you're used to that show. Well, now let's say that there's 200 kids there. Well, it's not nearly as cool as the 1,500 kids, but these 200 kids that came now ha felt like they had to come to our show mm -hmm. over 
all the other shows that are going on, or in addition to, but they made it out to Instead our show. Instead of Fringe. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> they skipped American Idol or whatever it is that night, or Dancing with the Stars, came out to watch Hawthorne Heights play our new songs, and that's that's pretty special. That's I'm, pretty just, I'm happy our band has had a natural progression, right. and just like a, it, it, it started so small that it, from now on, can't be smaller. Like it, it probably oh, cannot be Oh, now you worse. cursed it. Now you cursed it. You blew it now. This well, moment I'm, is I'm on tape. I, yeah. <laughs> it, there's no way it could be. But, I mean, if it does, we've been there, so we'll, we'll the, know what to expect. It's all the, good. One of the accusations, one of the, not accusations, but, but uh, you know, you guys have had this history with, the with uh, you know, um, about the, the internet, and um, I want to read something here just because I was, I was uh, picky enough to find it online and print it out. Um, but the the point with the internet and uh, and uh, message boards and viciousness on message message boards and stuff and why can't I find it now? Um, and, uh, and well, you know what you're going to be spared because I for whatever reason I don't have it in front of me. Um, <laughs> basically, this girl went on f uh, defending you guys and 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 was saying you know that that other kids need to stop calling you guys a bunch of pussies and all these other things like that and that you know these guys really mean their music and so forth and and this kind of back and <clears> forth <throat> that goes online where it's like this south park kind of um you know viciousness as like i said it's like jerry springer with the inability to throw the chair because mm -hmm. it just gets nasty and yeah. um so it's like how do you guys buffer yourselves from that kind of crit like you guys have been around your pros first of all you, what have you, you learned just i think i it. think we could beat i think we could beat people up <laughs> if somebody calls us a pussy on a message board we could probably take them well, the first thing anybody or else they'd ever, call us. Or, the first thing yeah. anybody or, ever or says, or they call us, call us that to our face. <laughs> yeah, the first thing anybody says the first time that they see us is, "You guys are so much taller than I would ever <laughs> think." So we're pretty intimidating. We're all you guys game show hosts. Like, boy, you're taller on yeah. TV. We're all a, a, around six foot or over. Mm -hmm. um, nope. But uh, well, you're like five eleven, because <laughs> five ten or something. You're you're close. You're not five foot four. No, but anyway, I'm not Prince. Yeah, but uh, I think that that stuff. First of all, it's Sometimes it's funny, and you're like, man, this guy hates us so much that he will post every time. He will sit in his mom's basement all day eating all day Cheetos long. and post. But another thing is like, but sometimes it's like, man, because everybody wants to be liked. Who doesn't want to be liked? Whether it's you're a basketball player, a musician, or a nurse. You know what I mean? You, you, like, you like people to think, that guy's good at what he does, or at least he's a nice individual person. You like to think like that, but some people you can't ever please. The only bad thing is that we have to maintain such a good reputation that if we were to actually get on there and fire back at the stuff that he was saying, we would be the mean guys. Right. Even though he would be like, you know, wh whatever it is. Uh, I wish this band would break up already. They've been through so much stuff. Can't they just get over it? You know, maybe it's not meant to be. You know, like... and. After all we've been through, the things that I would like to say, but you know, I'm a rational adult, so I'm like, well, this is some kid that doesn't know me at all. Why? I'm not going to say anything to this guy. But if we were to say something, the whole entire world would hate us and not him because that's the position that. We're and at in. the same time, if you if you step back from the situation and look at it as a whole, people don't hate or like things that nobody cares about. Like, I mean, you. Nobody is going to go, hey, this chair sucks. Nobody cares about the chair. So if people are talking bad, that's 
as good as talking good. It probably, I mean, it, it means something's yeah. going right. right. They just for every one person that's you know being vocal and and showing his hatred towards you, there's probably a hundred people that that aren't really choosing to say anything that like you. So, but so, they you just know. enjoy your band, you know, and so, that's total. That's totally fine. So if there's a band out there, a young band that's putting out their first CD or their first digital EP or whatever, would you would you recommend to them just if you go to a message board on so and so site and it says uh, I don't know. Uh, tomorrow's coffee comes today, and that's the name of the band. And they're like, uh, we review their new record, uh, and then it says 432 po- comments. Do you just recommend to the band? Don't even read it. I say read it. You can read it and it's, laugh at it. Don't take it with, to take it with yourself it, up. Take it with a grain of salt and realize these are people. When you have that many, I mean, if you look at the number of posts, the more there are the better chance someone's going to just try to be offensive to get theirs noticed for some I don't, definitely true. personal thing. I don't know why you would. It's, I, so the other I thing you don't get like credit or, or, or people telling the other guy yeah, you're a jerk. Yeah. Uh, everybody's just trying to get their little post known. So they're going to be as offensive or as nice as they can be. Take it with a grain of salt. It really yeah, doesn't mean anything. You can't, <laughs> you can't not go to sleep at night because somebody posted bad about you. But one thing I will say is... If you're creeping through there and looking at stuff that uh, is being said about your band, and it talks about your live show, and it says, and you see 50 or 60 posts in a row, man, I just saw that band last night, and I really wanted them to be good, and they were terrible live. You're probably terrible live. <laughs> just tighten it up. Really? It's, Focus. It, yeah, so it's, it's give the, it some credence. It's the mindless thing that, like, oh, that band sucks. That doesn't mean anything. Yeah, who cares about that? Like, oh, they're, they're, it, their music's stupid. That's like, it's just. That's cool. Exactly. And then when cool, you man. when then when you read their little what is supposed to be anonymous name and it's uh you know whatever uh crass punker 1984 okay well that guy is probably not a Hawthorne Heights fan but he's also probably not a fan of any band that sounds remotely close to us. Yes, we do not sound like crass. Um we didn't go into the recording studio and say hey man we really got it. We got to make it sound like crass, and this is how it came out. You know, right. we don't like crass. That's not how it sounds. So, you obviously don't like our band. It's not that yeah. big a deal. I think it's fine when you read things like, uh, "I really like the album, but I just don't really like this song that much." Like that. And when you start mm-hmm. picking stuff out, when you That's start pinpointing, opinion. when you start pinpointing things, you might. It means a little themes. more than just like recurring. I, I hate them. They're stupid. Right. Like, Re- Cool. Right. Recurring themes. Yeah. So we're going to take our second music break, but before we do, uh, just quickly, uh, because you, you brought it up, um, and this was what I was going to ask before that that I before I started trying to find that sheet. Um, uh, you talked about bands blowing up, and I remember back then that was kind of like the, the 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 naysayers, the detractors of the band were yeah. like, they blew up, they're contrived, they're fake, they're yeah. blah, you know, they're robots. The word sellout is gone. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. So, but I've asked other bands this, and none of them seem to be able to answer this question. I don't know. Maybe you guys can. Maybe bring it on. The, maybe they'll be the one. We'll All right, here shot. we are. So, really, it's when a band does blow up immediately like that, which is what you guys had. You put out the record. There's a great story in one of the cover stories where you guys. It's like 9 a.m. in the morning. You're down in South Carolina, and then you're like you're calling up Victory to find out. Um, uh, the silence is black and white. It just came out. And you're trying to find in black and white, and you're trying to find out like what did the sales numbers coming in? And they're telling you like, oh, you've sold more records than any other record on Victory Records has ever. And your guys are like, what? Yeah. You know, and like, so what? What do you think it is? Is it just good timing? Is it like having a sound that speaks to a generation? Is it, you know, is it having a gimmick like a Katy Perry kind of thing? It's what a, is it's it? It's a culmination of things, it's, and I think if anybody were able to sort of pinpoint and say it's that, yeah, 
then everybody would do that. I mean, yeah, they, I think I think again, there are great bands out there that never get noticed and never blow up or do anything. So it's it's more than just having great songs. It's it's about having great songs, a great live show, having being at the right place, at the right time, and mm-hmm. having a, a, a great a buzz, great and, promotion. And great you know, like there there's, like there's there's so a ton of different factors. things, and a lot of things came together. And we had a very successful first week, but a lot of people don't realize that our very successful first week was like 2,700 copies. We didn't crack the Billboard top 1 million. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, And that's awesome. We had the best debut in victory history, which is an honor because some of our favorite bands you know, had come before us and then had grown and grown and grown, and that's what we got to do. But a lot of people think... You know, well, they immediately blew up. And 2,700 copies in your first week, if we were on any other label that wasn't independent, like a victory, they would have been like, all right, well, we're taking all your records off the shelves and we're not going to sell them anymore. You know, you have just been dropped. Yeah, I also think out of no, I guess people say we came out of nowhere. I don't think any of us think that. I mean, we were right. every, well, of course you wouldn't. Right, every right, right. tour, we, we were there every day. Every tour was a little bit better than the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think... It, to me, it was gradual, but I'm an insider. Other people are. I mean, well, I think the point knows. was is that that Tony Brummel, the head of Victory, was so he he <clears> is <throat> for better and for worse, for whatever criticisms he may have right. against him, he is a marketing genius. I mean, yeah. he, it, the, if it's on Victory, I don't care how bad the band is, they're going to be known. Right. I mean, people are going to mm-hmm. know the name at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they so, did. They and did so a great you guys job. were everywhere. I mean, like he really went. You know, I do he, think I do think at the end of the day, what like. Like a gimmick and what you're yeah. saying about that. I think there hat if you have a gimmick but no substance, yeah, you might be big for three weeks, but then it will be gone. There has to be at the end of the day, throughout every band, there has to be some sort of substance people can relate to, something just longevity. There has to be something there. It can't just be a midget wearing kiss makeup. Like I mean I mean that's great. Kiss. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, that's wonderful, but you you had there has to be something there. Okay, you know? so, so the next song, Rick, um, uh, and then we'll do a uh, we'll do a couple more questions. Like and we'll wrap it up. Um, uh, give me two songs from your from your repertoire. That um, there's some little fact about those two songs that maybe even your fans don't know yet. Maybe uh, I, at least I can think. Oh, House for Lovers, even though it, it's like yeah. one of our bigger songs. We never thought that was going to be a single. Interesting. We initially thought that, yeah, that song Silver Bullet was going to be our first single. Like from the time that we sent our demos. we got signed off of. Yeah, from that the song time I... we sent our demos in, that's, that was the song that everybody was like, oh, that's going to be the first single. Yeah. Ohio's for Lovers didn't have lyrics when we went in the studio. You know, I wrote the lyrics once we, you know, started to get everything down. Um, we thought that it might sound a little bit too much like Silver Bullet, and Silver Bullet was our marquee song, so why would we have another one that sounds similar? And it really doesn't sound similar at all. You know what I mean? It's just, that's just what we thought at the time. So it was like, you know, are we even going to record this song? Is this song going to make the record or anything? Wow. And, and that just so happened to be the song that that people liked and, and kind of know us by, and, you know, we got a little controversy when it first came out because... You know the whole. It was about cut, my cut your wrists and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's that just, was just re- re- retarded because I mean it, it's it's a metaphor for a heartbreak and nobody's going out there and uh, saying that Romeo and Juliet is causing people to commit suicide or anything. I right. Mean, that, yeah, that's, that's just song, as absurd. The lyrics are really <laughs> just about being away from home for the first. What were we gone? Five weeks or something yeah. like that. We're gone for five weeks. Never had been away from 
my wife, who Which is seems just like my 10 girlfriend. years yeah, then. My girlfriend but, then. And you're like trying to explain to somebody, well, I'm doing, you know, what we've been waiting on this whole time. And, uh, you know, I will see you as soon as I can. But it also had to come up with, all right, I, you know, I have two or three songs left that I need to do lyrics on because we were kind of rushed into the studio, you know, like mm-hmm. we had, you know, eight or nine songs that were ready and then we had a couple more that we needed to get ready. It's unfortunate, but, you know, we wrote all the music and then I was coming up with lyrics and it was like, man, I cannot go to sleep tonight because I have so much work to do. I have racking my brain to try to come up with something and that's what I came up with and it worked. It was cool and everything, but it, none of us were ever thinking about hey, uh, this is a pro-suicide anthem. You know, we really <laughs> got to get this out there. That's the worst. Like, I hate it when people identify that song with suicide because we are so anti-suicide. We did the Take Action Tour. We've done everything like that. We've always been outspoken. I'm not sure how you can really be pro-suicide. Well, yeah. like, even, <laughs> you're just if you an just, asshole if you are. I'm just saying, if you look at it, how could anybody think it's pro-suicide? Like, what does that even mean? And I would certainly hope that somebody at the label and the marketing department would sit there and go, um, guys, can we talk about this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Nobody ever thought like that until... And the pro-abortion one, song. We gotta take that yeah, off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah until one, one person, or you know, like a parent, was like, I, I don't really like the way that sounds. You know, it's the exact same people who, whose parents heard Black Sabbath and was like, ooh, this is heavy, man. You cannot be listening to this. This is crazy. They're singing about the devil. You know, like, is Black Sabbath really singing about the devil? They're probably singing about LSD or something. You know? Right. So what's the second song that maybe your fans don't know anything about? Like, it's um, like a little secret. This might be, trick. this is pretty little, but still. On Four Becomes One, we, uh... Well, we already played that, so I can't play that again. Oh, I know. I'm so, d- I just want to give it a little tidbit. Yeah. tidbit. All right, um, Aaron has tried to sing, sing before. And it was awful, just awful. We'd be like in the basement and be like, oh, listen, this is hilarious. Listen to him sing. So we decided to be cool in the bridge of that if we all sang, since it's called Four Becomes One. Be right. Cool. And we put him back there, put him in the in their booth, and we're like waiting, like, this is going to be hilarious. Nailed it. Every time. Nailed it. We're like, what really? Like, just in my defense, anytime in the basement we were doing like gang vocals, so it was more like shouted and <laughs> right. And, and so I wasn't trying to hit specific notes then. So, of but I thought you were tone deaf until oh. we just recorded. <laughs> so he's like that so. bastard that like never played pool before. It's like I don't know yeah, how to play yeah, pool. Yeah. Come on, play pool. And then yeah. he wipes her. He, he hustled know? all of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if this this isn't really about any one particular song, but sort of uh, the irony of of one of the, the things that made us more popular the, the whole screaming aspect we never really intended to have as much screaming on our first album as ended up on there uh, our producer was sort of indifferent about that when we got to the, the, never the vocals re- never recorded a band that screamed ever anyway uh, and, and it was so just kind of us like we recorded it all you know all these parts and rather than a producer have you know looking at the songs and saying you know what that doesn't really fit in this part because this is more of a poppy song mm-hmm. let's let's cut that out he just sort of left everything in there so we became known as this band that has all this screaming, and then all of a sudden, our second album has much less screaming in it, and people are freaking out. They're like, "What's going on?" Well, this is what we really intended the first album to sound a little bit more like. <laughs> wow! And a, a lot of people don't realize that when we were recording that record, there wasn't big bands that screamed or anything. So people are like, "Well, they just one of the bands that got on the screamo bandwagon," and we were like. Oh, Man. there was Thursday. It was because of the label we were on. There was Thursday, and then right. Tigmex two thousand four, two thousand three. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's just it, it, it felt was like we were the next step in a line of yeah. bands, yeah. which is which is fine. That's just 
comes with the territory so, or whatever. So, so is there a song, that, like one of your songs from your repertoire, like maybe the lyrics changed a lot or something, or like it was supposed to be about this and ended up being about that? I mean, some... Um, I, I don't know. I, I've, I've always liked it, and I'm probably going to get made fun of it for it, but Sugar in the Engine on our new album, I really, <laughs> like, <laughs> no, <it's good. laughs> I, I really like that song a lot. It's got a really cool mood to it. There's a lot of that extra <clears throat> production work on it that we mm-hmm. uh, were talking about earlier. And then uh, sort of the, the, the last sort of outro part was... Uh, a part that Micah played on a dobro that we rented or borrowed somewhere. Uh, I think, did, didn't you record that in the bathroom of, of our hotel? Yeah. yeah so after we were done tracking for the day, I took a guitar back to the hotel and set up a microphone in the shower and recorded all the, the music for that and then recorded him singing in the shower. And With yeah. it on? No, the shower, the shower was not on. But, I think, uh, it could have been mood. could have been mood. Yeah. So. There's, one people that, there's one thing people I don't think realize about records. People always say, oh, this is the record we wanted to make. I, I get that, but I kind of don't. I feel like if you re- every album probably isn't what they intended and probably not what they not, didn't intend to do because it's kind of a one-time thing. When you record a record... If you recorded the same song six months from now, they would not sound just like you just recorded. Like, it's a total... I, it's, there's it's things weird. that happen there's, in the studio that, that are just spon- happen. Spontaneous. That's, that's spontaneous. What? Spontaneous. spontaneous. It's affecting you now, too. I think it's going spontaneous. around. Spontaneous. Uh, can't talk. Uh, so. I, I think that it is, it's really cool. that That's a really cool song for you to play, Sugar in the Engine, because it does have that uh, dynamic outro to it. Um, you know, Micah had just written that part, and we wanted... Um, you know, he, he just brought it back, and he was working on a part, because we were like, why don't we have, like, an interlude? on this CD to break up, you know, the middle of the album. And Micah, you know... We we've all, wanted to do it before, but never really yeah. pulled it and off. And we've always, like, Micah plays a really good uh, plays really good slide guitar. So we were like, all right, we got this Dobro that's... It's a mean guitar. That's like a square neck guitar made specifically. You can only play slide on it, pretty much. And uh, so let, let's have Micah do this. And I listened to it, and I loved it so much. And I was like, man, you know, like, this is, like, inspiring. I want to sing to this. So I was like, Micah, I want to sing to this. I came up with this part. And, uh, you know, we just... You know, I held my laptop up to my face at three in the morning and sang the part to show those guys. And then the next day we recorded the vocals. Uh, Micah set the microphone up, wrapped around the curtain rod, uh, the shower curtain rod in the in the residence inn in Chico, California. And we uh, we sang it. Then we all sang a part together on it. It's um, I really love that part because it really is. That is about the lyrics to that part are about the day after Casey passed away like exactly like what we were thinking about what was going to happen what's it going to be like like you know you've just lost one fifth of your band and like what is this going to be like now it's also it's also just from a part standpoint something really cool like when we're 70 years old we could listen to that on whatever format they have then and know exactly what was happening there. I, we can all remember, like, oh, we did this in the hotel bathroom. That was so cool. Like, just little and then little cool things like that will, like, stand the test of time, and I then, think. And then you For were us, saying, at least. As you were saying about, you know, like, how a lot of the time the record isn't what you planned. Then mm-hmm. you spend the next six months after the record comes out telling media people that it is exactly what you were Exactly. Planned. But yeah. it never really is. Yeah. <laughs> right. good, good or bad. I Sometimes think, that's way better. I think this record is more how we planned it than either of our past two, for certain. Um, but the best part of that is the fact that we really did that in our time where we weren't supposed to be recording when we were sitting in a hotel room you know it was like but this is so cool and i think that it it honestly it's one of those parts that makes the record for me yeah like i listen to it and i'm like 
And whether everybody knows or not that we did it in a hotel bathroom, I just think it's for us, it's cool to think that like when we were done recording, we did this in our hotel bathroom. None of us had any money, so we ate at that hotel for free because they gave us like snacks and we just ate a lot of snacks. <laughs> it's just a cool, the whole experience was really yeah, cool and that's a good way to remember it. Whether okay. anybody else knows or not, it's really okay. cool. Off as he's wheels Keep 
Andrew McMahon was just in here the other day, and I was talking. I, I now call the Jack's mannequin effect, which is every single interview he gets within the first five questions is so. Tell me about the cancer. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I, is is that where for you guys it's like, okay, well, we got to talk about the lawsuit. We got to talk about 
yep. Casey. Yeah. We got to talk about you know. You know, Neo, we got to talk about... Yeah, I guess, like, people want to talk about the things that have been controversial in our life because that's what press is, you know, that's what interviews are. <laughs> we are drama queens. Yeah, right, yeah, but the lawsuit is so totally boring and, like, it's a lawsuit. If I were to show you, if I were to just say, this will answer all your questions and gave you the 350-page document, you wouldn't be interested at all. Because like reading it's, government records. Yeah, yeah it's, real, it's not interesting. <laughs> I mean, we don't mind talking about... Uh, losing Casey and everything because that's something that's very dear to us. Being in a lawsuit, it sucks. We just couldn't con- something that we couldn't control. There's just we don't have any answers. We don't have a a good answer. And the Neo thing, I don't even know what the hell that, that was, is. Uh, like we, we yeah. really don't know. I don't know why that even. We know that MTV came, came to us one day and was like, and they all say so it's so. What's this about Neo? We they all no say it's so weird, dude. They're like, so tell me about whatever with Neo. It's just like, oh well. It's I, always you I can really tell they're reading our band Wikipedia. Yeah, it's <laughs> sad. Not, like, it's stupid. awesome that you guys actually sit down, create the questions. You know what? You know that's what <laughs> right. journalism is. Right, we will try. The the looking at a looking at a Wikipedia and asking <laughs> me to recite the facts back to you. It, why would you want to for do a, that for for a quote? Yeah. So you know, um, because you, got, I, I was talking with Scott Heisel upstairs um, earlier this morning, and um, I said to him, "I'm like these guys are survivors. Literally, they're, you guys are survivors. We're cockroaches of Cockro- the music <laughs> industry. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> you can't so, step on us, man. So give me, just give me, uh, uh, just give me briefly here a couple things that you guys through your career to date so far. Give me two things you guys have done right." From a band perspective, like business decision or like a touring decision or something, like you guys have to go. You know what? Thank God we did that. And then give me two things um, that you did that you kind of look back and go, eh, probably shouldn't have done that. One thing we did right was we all quit our jobs to pursue music full time. I think we wouldn't be here had we not chosen to do that. I think you could also give the decision to just join Victory, sign with Victory, was the right yeah. thing. I mean, they just... Yeah. You, know, you never know what could happen with another label, but what happened with yeah, that label was, was right great. the right symbiosis right there. We helped yeah, each other And then one well. of the worst decisions was to start our lawsuit. and uh, That's a big one. That, that was a big, but you know what, terrible idea. But then, and then on the other side of that, though, our decision to try to resolve it more amicably right. afterwards, I think that was one of the better decisions we've yeah. made in recent years. I think that you can only, like, no matter what you do in life, you can only make the best decision with the information you're given. Right. And especially when you rely on information from so-called professionals who are supposed to be guiding you. You know, we are just musicians. We didn't we don't we don't have law degrees. We don't have business degrees. You know, we make the best decisions that we can make with the information that's presented in front of us. And that was just bad information bad timing, and something that we would not have thought of ourselves. Are you guys with the same firm still? Are you using the same attorneys as it was? No. No, no, no. no, no, no. New attorneys, new management. Because then I can ask a question I want to ask. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because really, you guys have got something that could be very, very useful to other musicians listening to that, which is, and you you nailed it, the legal end. The legal end is always, the you know, the only, one of the great things about Bands doing it more on their own with no labels and starting their own stuff is that you ain't gonna need the lawyers so much anymore to be playing defense for you um, or offense trying to get royalty payments or something like that out of somebody else. You now are gonna have it all, you yeah. know. And now it's just a matter of being able to audit your own iTunes account. Um, so, um, so what would be some advice? Just give me a couple pointers on advice that you would say regarding dealing with lawyers. I, mean, I think you kind of said it, JT, where you're like, 
you know, <laughs> they're they're giving you advice. It doesn't necessarily mean it's right. Yeah, I think yeah. On, I think on the legal end, they're they're there definitely to write up contracts, do all that stuff. Stuff you if, really can't if, do on your own. If somebody in, on that end wants to persuade you to do something drastic, I I would look at it more than we looked at it. Like if somebody like, hey, do you know how do you know how much money you could get from doing this? It probably means, do you know how much money I could get from you doing this? And yeah. it's your career, not mine. So I just, what do I got to lose? Yeah, and I think that it's uh, kind of agreeing with that point. I think that it's. Um, all lawyers are going to say, you know what, we could present a very strong case here. You know, and that that sounds like we have an open and shut winning case, but that's not what that means at all. That means if everything goes right, we have the right elements to possibly win and this And what they case. don't say is when we win this part, then there's this 10-day appeal period, and they're going to appeal during that 10-day. And then after that, there's this 40-day period where we have to come up with something, and we're going to give it the last it's, day. It's, it's and then mess. there's you know, it's you, just back and forth. They don't. There's no time limit. If you hear, hey, you're going to win this, you're like, awesome. It might take years to win. You do need you, you need a lawyer to look, look after a contract if you're going to sign one with a record deal or a publishing house or anything like that because there are th- things about the music business which you don't know and no regular you know attorney uh on main street knows um but even they are not perfect and they can screw up as we found out yeah. which, which sucks and, and you know another bit of advice to any band out there is don't get in a lawsuit with your label because lawsuits are such lengthy processes that and your career most, is, most your career is not lengthy. Are not, gonna, are, are not gonna last that long. You know, you cannot you cannot be in a a lawsuit in the height of your career and popularity for two years and take two years off. The general public cannot take two years off from you. you Especially know, we, nowadays. I mean, you know, maybe back you know, in the seventies or something, bands could do that because careers were were, were longer and Well, uh, we just pretty much couldn't do anything. We couldn't tour, we couldn't make new music, we could write it, we couldn't record it. We couldn't let anybody hear it. You know, like, this is all the things that we wanted to be as a band. You know, and I think that you definitely need an amazing attorney that you can trust. More importantly, you should have somebody that has been through a lot of situations. So do your research before hiring an attorney and make sure that they've, they have some major artists under their belt or at least work with people who have been through the ins and outs of the industry not somebody who has just signed bands who had just gotten bands deals because that's a totally different type of attorney we were also not really told that well our lawyer is actually not going to be handling the lawsuit because he's not a litigator he is just an attorney he's a transactional attorney who writes contracts and negotiates deals. <clears throat> well, that is totally different than having to hire an entirely different firm that we don't know, that we don't know whether to trust or not. Because let's face it, there's always two sides of the law, and both lawyers are always right. To some extent, right, they right. are always right. They both have a case. And it's up to the judge, who in our case was 80 years old and only worked two days a week, to decide <laughs> Man. whose opinion was correct. And it, and it really boils down to the, that judge's interpretation of the law. Yeah, so we took about two years, and we didn't even get close to... They said we were about one-third of the way through our court case when we stopped it. And that's, and that's if we played it all out and it didn't get appealed. 
So it could have, yeah. you know, it could have gone, gone on for 10 years. And why, why rock the boat when you can ride the wave? Good point. You know what I mean? Like, there's no point in... And le- we were not going through so much stuff that it was unbearable. We were made to think that it was unbearable and that we were being treated unfairly. Mm. You know? And there's unfair situations in every form of business. Maybe you work at a doctor's office or you're a teacher and your partner just got a raise but you didn't get a raise. Right. What, do you go there and say, well, I'm filing a lawsuit, man. I'm not coming to work for the next two years. No, you don't. So you that's suck it ex- up and yeah, do it. You suck it up. People do things that they don't want to do every day. As long as you maintain your credibility and you like what you're doing, there are certain things that you can overcome. And, and if you step back from a situation, if you have way more money than you can ever do anything with, then filing a lawsuit might be doable. But if we're... At that time, five kids from Ohio filing a lawsuit against a corporation that has way more money than any of us even thought about having, probably not going to happen. Like, it's probably a bad bad decision. They Mm -hmm. can just sit there and wait while we spend money that we don't have, and then we eventually, somebody buckles, and it's... Yeah, and it's not as and it's not as easy (laughs) to... Which is fine. It's not not 100% like, you, you can't just go, man, this sucks. This isn't what I thought at all. Let's call it off and get everything back. It doesn't work like that because you, you know, you have waged war for better sense of the term. You know, that's that's it. And we, if it was by ourselves, our decision, we would not have waged war. Hmm. You know, like we're happy with the situation that we're in. Victor did a great job promoting our records. Maybe there was things that they could have done differently. There's- Maybe there's things that we should have done differently. But right. a lawsuit should not have been filed. We definitely mm. had our issues with the, with the label, as I think mm. a lot of bands do. And we, But he's right. We shouldn't have filed a lawsuit. We should have gone and sat down with Tony, something we ended up doing you know, this February, and right. try to resolve these matters as adults rather than through lawyers. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, everybody has issues with their, with their labels. It, it's something that always comes up in any relationship. You're going to have a, a problem, whether it be a, a, a legal relationship or uh you know a personal one yeah, and, and another thing uh let's just let, we'll quit the lawsuit and go on to a, a <laughs> to a uh another thing that i feel that we did right okay because you wanted a couple things yeah. that we did right i think that we've always um when we were presented with a tour that we thought would do really well or that a lot of people would be at or that we thought would be the right exposure for our band sometimes we would take concessions and make less money and, you know, play beneath bands because we want to be on tour with certain bands. And I think that you can't let your ego say, hey, well, we're almost as big as that band because that's all perception and it doesn't matter anyway. But if you want to be on tour with somebody that you think can grow your band and that you'll enjoy and you'll be playing to kids that you think will genuinely like your music, mm-hmm. I think you take less money. And if you have to tour cheaply, then you tour cheaply because... Ultimately, you do want to expose people to your music, and if there's going to be a lot of people there to expose, it's our job to go there, play our songs, and then try to sell our CDs. And we've always, you know, like when we were taking tours like that, whether it be, you know, like the Mess Tour or Sum 41, you know, we'd be at our merch table the whole time single-handedly selling our CDs to people for $5, you know, and saying, hey, we were just the band up there. If you like what you heard, this is only $5. Hmm. And I think that... That's a big part of how we built our fan base up. And I think bands nowadays don't even... They, they don't even try to do that. They don't try to pick tours 
uh, with their long-term <clears throat> goals in mind. Maybe they don't have long-term goals. I don't know. But, mm. you know, bands nowadays, they sell 50,000 records and they immediately want a headline or a co-headline with somebody. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like, right. you're not co-headlining with us. You know, who, who do you think you are? But, um, you know, we were still trying to support until we had sold... 300,000 copies of our record, our first record. And we didn't... If you grow it that way, when you do headline, it makes it actually worth it. Yeah, like our first headlining tour after uh, Warp Tour 2005 was huge. It was great success. Every show was sold out, and it was awesome. And we didn't even... We didn't... Another thing about touring cheaply um, is, you know, the less overhead you have, the more money you can take home and and pay your bills and, you know, own a cell phone and stuff like that, and that stuff's very important. Um... You know, we didn't get into a tour bus by ourselves until we had sold 400,000 records. You know, we never had, we never, yeah, it was Warp Tour. And that was because we were told, you pretty much cannot tour in a van on this tour. Right. You know, I think we had to talk ourselves into getting a tour bus, not going, well, let's get back in the van. You know what I mean? It was one of the shittiest tour buses we've ever had to. (laughs) Yeah, but it was like. We've never, we've never used tour support or anything like, we've never. Wow. Okay. We just. So it's like, we pay for it. And we will pay for what we want to pay for, you know. So, and that's the way it was, you know. And I think a lot of bands now, you hear about all these bands. It's like, well, how many how many records has that band sold, or how many like what label are they on? They, you know, why are they on a bus? They're on a tour bus. It's fifteen hundred dollars a day to do a tour bus. They don't make fifteen hundred dollars a day. You know what? What are they doing? We're sharing a bus right now. Yeah, we are sharing a bus with Emory, and it's awesome because the economy's so down, gas prices are so up, even though they've Right, right. This minute, they are a dollar eighty-five or right. something. But you know, all that stuff does help, and we're having the time of our lives. We're sitting there playing Halo every day, and somebody's sharing the expense with us. It's amazing. So, so real, real fast. Um, one question on the bus thing, and then one more, and we'll wrap this up. Um, uh, on the on the idea of bus buses, I've I've started to. Um, I think I may start asking a lot of bands this question because you get some really fun stories out of this. Um, the craziest bus driver. We had a guy, it was... Uh, Dirty Uncle Troy? Dirty Uncle Troy. <laughs> Great. He Here was, comes the libel it, suit. It, All right. It, it, was, it, was, it was on our, our first headlining tour, which was Never Sleep Again in 2005. And he would literally drive through the, the, the snow banks, like in the Rockies... <laughs> And this is maybe weeks after our friend Beats passed away. So we're all already freaked out enough about being on the road. But this guy's driving down, trying to drive through the snowbanks purpose, purposefully because he thought it was funny. I saw, I saw him while driving. He goes, oh, when I tour a Slipknot, I'll run, I'll, while driving, run to the back lounge, hit the wall, and then run back to my driver's seat. I'm like, okay, that's ridiculous. You're like, Sitting up there. <laughs> This dude is driving 70 miles an hour, gets out of his chair, grabs a drink out of the fridge, goes back to his chair, and keeps driving. And it, just to... And we're just like, oh my... Just to kind of let you, let people know who don't know a lot about us, you know, two of us are completely drug-free in the band. We don't drink, we don't do drugs, we don't do anything. And the other two have a beer or maybe a couple drinks three or four times in a six-week tour. So we are all totally sober at all times that shit's not cool we're not like we're not like hey man that's freaking funny we're like oh my god this is scary and you're hiring somebody to scare you you know so like okay well if we're gonna be scared let's get in the van not pay 1500 dollars a day yeah at the end of the day a tour bus is a thirty thousand dollar a month apartment (laughs) 
And if you're paying that much money for an apartment, first of all, you got about 12 square feet for 20 people or 12 people. The last thing you want to do is be scared and pay that much money. Oh, yeah. We, I not- would prefer the driver to just, you know, sit up there. When we're parked at the venue, get out of your chair, get in a cab and go to the hotel. And go to sleep. And go to sleep. <laughs> fall asleep in the cab. You know, like, I want you to be well-rested. You know, I do not want to be like, your life is in my hands. And, and there's nothing more terrifying than in the middle of the night, you're in your bunk, and you just start shaking uncontrollably, and you're like, what the uh, hell is going on There's times you wake there? up, and you feel like you're going light speed. Like, they're, like you have no sense of direction or, or how fast. It's the most It is just world. awful. So you got to trust your bus driver, in, in other yeah, words, I to make so. the long story short. <laughs> yeah. I, there are some... Crazy people out there driving There's some buses. awesome ones, though, too. Bayside's really told awesome. us some really hilarious stories about one dude was like, hey, you know, I, did you see that girl that I brought back over here? He was like, no, we have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I picked this girl up, and we had sex. He's like, oh, cool, back in your hotel room? No, in the back lounge. <laughs> you know, it's like, we've never had, you know, that kind of bus driver, and uh, then they fired him. You know what I mean? They were like, eh, that, the right uh, that doesn't fly with us. But, I mean, there's some, there's some crazy people out there. And <laughs> it'd be different if you were hiring your uncle or something. But, man, you're paying these people, like, a serious salary to scare the shit out of you. <laughs> Not cool. So, all right, final question. Um, <clears throat> I was going to kind of make you know, like a real kind of semi-serious question. I'm going to forget that. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so, tell me, uh, tell me, the 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 fan fan stories are also fun. Um, you guys are fun guys, so I'm gonna go with the fan story. Tell me the fan story r- briefly because your cab is gonna be here in seven minutes. Um, uh, <laughs> tell me the fan story that is uh, um, uh, the one that you obviously moved the most, like the one that like you impacted the most, like the ones you guys like. Whoa, you know they left and you like I don't even know what to say. And then the second one is give me the craziest one, like the the one that's like a, a, a person that probably would end up being, you know, being a regular customer at UDF. The fan, the fan, we moved him the most. I don't even, I don't know if this is the right thing for that, but probably a week ago in Boise, wow. yeah. we okay. met with a lady that her son passed away in a car wreck on the way to one of our shows oh, wow. in 2005. Um, she bought tickets to see us last year, but we canceled because of Casey. Um, and we got to see her a week ago and she brought us like a basket full of all of Casey's favorite things like Dr. Pepper, grilled cheese, gummy bears, like stuff like that. And it was just really that, I think when they left the room, it was really, really cool. But when they left the room, we're all, we all like sat down and we're like, oh my Lord. Like it was. Yeah. It was, was, I mean, that was, she was a very (laughs) wonderful woman and she, you know, wrote a song about it. Um, about her loss, and we're going to try and incorporate that really? in, into something that, that we do here in the future. Um, because, you know, that's, that's something that's, you know, like you hear about, well, your music really touched me. Well, that story really touched us. You know, that mm-hmm. was really like, it was amazing to, uh, to be a part of that. Just uh, whenever we were in Lawrence, Kansas, two nights ago, two nights <coughs> ago, um, this girl came, and she, uh, you know, brought this, this letter and everything, and she was like, you know, hey, uh, I was going to, come to your show, you know, in, in case he passed away. So I had to come to this show. And it was, you know, kind of a similar situation. Um, and she was like, you know, just last week, I went and paid my respects at the 930 Club in Washington, D.C. You know, I just wanted to see where the last time you guys saw Casey. 
And it was like, you know, that was pretty amazing to hear that it, somebody cared that much. And, uh, you know, she was nearly crying. And then when we were playing, you know, when we played Four Becomes One, you could see she was right in front of me. She was crying. Uh. And uh, during the whole set, she was yelling, you know, Casey's parts and we miss you, Casey, and everything. And that was that was an amazingly sweet thing uh, for a fan to do. And it was it was awesome to see that, you know, the four of us could touch somebody in that way. Wow. And so, um, to kind of switch the mood, then give me the give me the craziest one, like like the like the one you like you you guys were. I mean, I, I don't know how you can top being hauled out to the middle of nowhere, but um, there has to be. I think that person wor- actually seemed sane. Yeah, oh, that person yeah. was pretty pretty yeah. reasonable. I think the world's full of loon birds, <laughs> um, and a lot of them like rock music. So, but I mean, a lot of people are good crazy. You know what I mean? Like not like oh, this person might slice me up crazy. Um, one time, there was this girl who, it was Warped Tour in 2007, uh, came up to me at a, when we were doing a meet and greet, and she had all my tattoos drawn on her arms with uh, Sharpie. And it was pretty good representation. I was like, I don't ever remember a picture that was so close to my arms that she would even have seen. You know what I mean? So it was like, little spooky. <laughs> But also harmless and cool. It was right. like she was like, "Look at this! I, you know, I did this." And I was like, "At the time, I was like, what about cougars?" Oh, we get the cougs, <laughs> man. Yeah, that's one thing about especially us. We it, get... what three of you guys, all four of you married? Four. All, all four. Oh yeah. So now you get it worse. Yeah, <laughs> they see the wedding ring. They're like, "Hey, I got one of those too." You know, he's what I mean? responsible. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we see? definitely get the cougs, and it's it's funny. It's funny. They're always drinking. My favorite crazy fan thing and this is not an individual fan but i love when people yell at our shows something that has nothing to do with anything it is like <laughs> like when somebody's like hell yeah like just something any any time and it happens at every show so it just kind of keeps me on my toes i i love that when they just there's always that guy they just they just yell like beelzebub or something yeah, yeah like, just yeah. really like I don't even know what. There was like, yeah, there's there, times I just laugh. There like was that I'm, girl who's who was uh, dancing in front of you in Scottsdale. Oh my god! Yeah, there's this girl. My we really small stage. She's got her boyfriend behind her, and she's wasted, and she's rubbing herself against himself in a way that's kind of weird, and like shaking her head. And every time I went to tune, she would look right at me, and my foot is like six inches from her face and it was the most awkward i made our tour manager move my tuner i was like this is the most awkward thing i can't have this girl staring at me while her boyfriend's doing that to her <laughs> loon birds but that's why you, that's what makes your makes your day exciting yeah, it keeps oh, okay. you never keep know what you're going to be playing it keeps you on your toes exactly. every day there's, there's always some somebody who's making you laugh in the audience whether they know it or not most <laughs> of the time most of the time in a in a good way though in a way that you're like man i appreciate that <laughs> so he it's, backed it's, it up it's always yeah. always yeah, somebody he's, to, he's saving it yeah i see there's always somebody you know where you're like Oh, did you see that person? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. and we're we're pretty funny guys. Yeah. So I think we're all kind of on the same page on what's hilarious and what, I mean we're we laugh it at always gets talked as much about. as we laugh at our fans. Well, yeah, I appreciate you guys coming in here. I this I this I had so much fun talking with you guys and uh, and I will go out and buy that system and if it sucks I'm just gonna charge you back. <laughs> awesome. Right. So is that all right? Yeah, that's that's, to- that's yeah. totally fine. It's yeah. cheaper than if you charge us back for the PS3. Yeah. <laughs> so do that. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Thank you very, very much, much for having us. Best right. interview. 
AP Podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Rob Bertenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is all my fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com slash Mike Shea AP. That's S-H-E-A like the stadium, AP. 